about what God's doing, what he's wanting to do. Just excited. I can't think of another word to say other than excited. Just like that person over there. Let's go ahead and pray, and then we will start, and they can join us. Father, we're just so grateful to you. We're just so excited about you. Lord, we are excited that we get to be a part of your kingdom. We get to be a part of seeing your kingdom manifest here on the earth through us so that you will be glorified, that people will be drawn to Jesus. We're excited about our relationship with you, Lord, what you're doing in our individual lives, what you're doing in our families, what you're doing in this church family, what you're doing in Stillwater, Oklahoma, the United States. Lord, even though, even though things look dim and scary and worrisome sometimes, we're still excited that you are on the throne, that you will have your way, that your kingdom will be advanced and you will be exalted. And nothing will stop that. And we get to be a part of it. So Holy Spirit, we just invite you to teach us today. We open our hearts to you. And we say, Holy Spirit, have your way. Speak to me. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, for helping me to deliver your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. It's about time y'all ladies got back in here. <laughs> I know it's dangerous letting you guys out there to talk. So I don't even know where my wife is. Hey, Lisa! Lisa! Oops, not you, Drum. Not Lisa Drum. Or Lisa Campbell. <laughs> I forget. We have three Lisas. Anyway, my wife will probably show up sometime today. And then she might not. I doubt it. I seriously doubt that. I know she's having a good time, though. All right. My goal for this message, which I believe is the Lord's goal is to empower you ladies with an effective weapon and tool that will dramatically impact your life and physically slow down the aging process. How many of you guys are for that? All right, I thought that would get your attention. But I'm serious. And and I say this, this message is for the ladies, but men, you are welcome to either listen or put your headphones on and listen to ESPN Sports Center or something like that. I give you permission. But you might want to listen. Because I think this might encourage you as well. What's that? Well, I don't know. <laughs> yes, if applied, you know how they say if this cream is applied correctly, it'll take away this stuff. Well, if, if this message is applied correctly, it will slow down the aging process. Guaranteed. Or all of your money back that you gave me personally. All right. Now, this is going to be a two-part message because of the, our time frame today and because of the, my excitement for this message. I knew it would take me more than just one session to share this. Uh, so I will, today we're going to talk about the problem, 
And then tomorrow, tomorrow, next week, we're going to talk about the solution. All right? And it's going to be good, and I'm excited about this. As I was saying earlier, I woke up this morning. I had my alarm set for a certain time, and I woke up an hour plus earlier. I mean, real early, and I couldn't go back to sleep. Not because I was worried or nervous, but because I was so excited, and I just felt this anticipation. And so I just had to get up, spend time with the Lord, and just had a great time with Him. And I hope I can share this in a way, I hope this has an impact on you as it's impacted, impacted my life. And how many of you guys have noticed my boots? Anybody? Now don't get too excited and don't get used to it. This is the first pair of boots that I've bought in my life. Probably the last. And this is the second time as an adult that I've worn boots. The first time was for Charlie and Misty's wedding. That's how special they are to me. And they sat in the closet. How long have you guys been married now? Yeah, that's right in May. What was this in May? June. Yeah, so these sat in the closet for almost a year. And then I thought I'd break them out for Mother's Day because my wife... Anyway. Anyway, so maybe next Mother's Day I'll do the same thing. But I'm not used to these. You know, I hear people talk about how comfortable they are. Mm-mm. And I'm sure I have to get used to them, but that's not going to happen. But maybe. I won't say never because I'm married to this lady and all things are possible. Especially when you own horses. But I still wear my tennis shoes, though. Anyway. All right. So, turn to uh, Philippians 4. And we're going to be going through verses 4 through 8. Philippians chapter 4. And I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version. Philippians chapter 4. And do we have that up there? Do we have that for up there? Ah, there we go. Yes. Wait a minute. Oh, that's verse 1. It's verse 4. 4 through 8. There we go. All right. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing but in everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, verse 8, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there be anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Amen. First thing he says is to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. This is a disposition that not only are we told by the Lord to have, but one that we are invited and get to have. We get to have and live in a disposition of joy. Of rejoicing. He says rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now, I think a lot of times we see a verse like that and we just take it as metaphorical or whatever. He doesn't really mean that we can be in joy or rejoice all the time, does he? It's just a saying. And I don't believe that. I believe he literally is saying rejoice in the Lord always. 
And matter of fact, so we would really get the message, he says, again, I say rejoice. So because the Holy Spirit lives in us, Christ in us, the hope of glory, and because of his grace that he's made available, this can become a reality in our lives. Where we can actually live from a place of rejoicing all the time. And then in Philippians 2, verse 14 and 15, it says, Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. So this we get to have too. We get to live in a way where we can rejoice constantly, and we can do all things without grumbling and complaining. Now, the reason why I think this is so significant is because in our society, or actually in the world, I'd be willing to say in the world, be willing to bet in the world, but I can only speak for our society since I live in our society. But if you, if you just listen to people, or if you're around people and you just listen to them, something that's very prevalent is grumbling, complaining, or worrying about things. Fear. You know, I, I shared this before, but years ago I was doing an experiment. I don't remember what I was researching, or maybe I was just in one of those moods. And, and I'm a sociologist by major, majoring in sociology at Oklahoma State. And I just love people, and I love to watch people. I love to study people. So sometimes I'll put myself in situations and just observe. I love airports because you get all kinds of flavors of people. But I, I purposefully, I was at Brahms. Um, suffering there with a milkshake and a hamburger. And I was sitting there, and I intently, I placed, it, was a, it was a noon hour, so it was very busy, and I intently, or intentionally sat myself in a place where I could hear, and I, I sat there and I eavesdropped. I listened, I tuned in to conversations around me, on purpose. I was being nosy, yes, but undercover. They didn't know it. And so I would tune into this conversation over here, then tune into this one, all the conversations, and every single conversation that I tuned into they were either talking about somebody or grumbling and complaining about something. I mean, just like common. It's just common. And so we are told, do all things without complaining and disputing. So that, in the, in, um, so children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights. If we live this way, we will stick out. The Bible says to let your light shine before men in such a way. Matthew 5, 16. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they see your good works and glorify God. The Lord has intended for us to live in such a way that people see us, but they glorify Him. It's not they look at us and say, wow, you're pretty cool, although that's okay. But the effect is that they see what we do or how we live, and they automatically say, wow. They recognize that God has something to do with this. And not only are we invited to live that way, but we are given the opportunity and the ability Two. But it's not automatic. Looking at the next verse, I believe it's uh, going back to Philippians 4, 6. It says, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything. Be anxious for nothing. Another word for anxious is worry. Do not worry about anything. 
And you notice it says, be anxious for, it doesn't say be anxious for most things or some things. But you see that word nothing right there? If you do a, an extensive study in the Greek, that word nothing means nothing. <laughs> I went to school to learn that. Just kidding. So he's telling us again to be anxious for nothing. And he says, but in everything, and we'll get onto that in a minute, but be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about anything. What does it mean to worry? When I was looking up in Webster dictionaries on the, um, the website and everything, where's my phone? Actually, I think I still have it. Don't you just love technology? If it works. Hope it didn't reset on me. Okay, to worry in the dictionary says, to torment oneself with or suffer with disturbing thoughts or fret. And that's the, um, excuse me, that's a verb. Also says, to torment with cares, anxieties, etc. Trouble, plague. To worry, to be anxious. For be anxious for nothing. And so I put my definition. What does it mean to worry? It means dwelling and thinking on a matter over and over and over, believing in a negative result. Dwelling on something over and over and over, believing in a negative result. I heard one preacher say, and that really caught my attention, do you realize that when you worry about something, you never Worry about the positive result happening? For example, ladies, if your husband's late getting home for work, he's supposed to be home at 6. 6.15 comes, 6.30 comes, 6.45, and he's not there. You know, you don't say, oh, my goodness, he must have got called in by his boss, and his boss is giving him a raise. <laughs> and then he decided to stop by on the way home and give me a big bouquet of flowers to celebrate his race. Oh, my goodness. That's not what we do, is it? It's like, oh, I wonder if he died in a car accident. I wonder if we think of negative. When we worry about something, we're putting faith in the negative results happening. We're putting faith in negative things happening. Or we're having faith for something negative or bad to happen in a particular situation. And then have you ever thought yourself or heard someone say, well, I worry because I care. You ever heard that? Of course, you heard somebody else say that, right? So in other words, it's how can I be a, a loving mother and not worry? Or how can I be a loving grandmother and not worry? Or if I really care about the situation, then I got to worry. In other words, we've, we've um, put worry in a, in, a, in a place, a status of it. It's something we're supposed to do. A responsible person will worry. And a person who really cares about her children or really cares about people are going to worry. And that is so true that God says be anxious for nothing because he doesn't know what it means to care. You think that's the case? Probably not. So I'm, caring, I'm worrying about my kids. Are they going to have enough money to pay their bills? Are they going to make it? Are they going to be okay? But then God tells me not to. And it must be because he doesn't care about my kids like I do. Sounds kind of ludicrous when you put it that way, doesn't it? 
<clears throat> be anxious for nothing. Why would he tell us not to worry? Give me a practical reason. I looked up an article on the web. The title of the article is Time to Worry About Worrying Too Much. And then at the undertitle, the subtitle is The Dangers of Worrying Too Much May Be Greater Than What We Worry About. The dangers of what we, uh, excuse me, the dangers of worrying too much may be greater than what we're worrying about. And so I'm going to read part of the article to you. It says, stress. It is probably one of the biggest risks we face. The more worried you are <clears throat> that you might get sick, the more likely it is that you will. Or if you do get sick, that you'll end up sicker or even dead from an illness you might have survived if you just didn't worry so much. The more worried you are about the health of your heart, the more damage you do to your heart. The more worried you are about losing your memory, the more your memory fades. The list of damage that worry can do because of the biology, biology of stress is long and scary, which means that not only... <clears throat> which means that not worrying more than we have to may be the best thing we can do for our health. We have Dr. Robert Adler to thank for bringing modern science and medicine around to what people have known intuitively for a long time, which is if you don't relax, you're going to worry yourself to death. Adler and colleagues helped pioneer clinical research into the effects of stress on health, which are brilliantly summarized in Robert uh, Sapolsky's fabulously entertaining and informative book, Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. <laughs> zebras don't get ulcers because when they are under attack, they either run away or get eaten. <laughs> but they don't, get, they don't stay stressed. We get ulcers and suffer a lot of serious damage because we do. It may not seem the same being chased by a hungry lion and worrying about how the economy is going or about that new strain of flu going around, but it is. Worry, which is feelings threatened to, threaten, feeling threatened to any degree, is stress. Worry is stress. Worry is stress. It sets off a fight or flight survival response, which triggers all sorts of changes in our bodies. The systems more important for immediate survival like blood pressure and heart rate, to circulate more energy throughout the body, get turned up. Blood pressure, heart rate, they get turned up. And the ones not so important for immediate survival, like our immune system, our digestion, or fertility, get turned down. Those changes help us run away from or fight off the lion. But if the figurative danger keeps us in that fight-or-flight mode for more than a couple of weeks, we're in for... We're in for all sorts of trouble. For example, persistently elevated blood pressure and heart rate raises your risk of cardiovascular disease, which is already the leading cause of death in the developed world. A depressed immune system makes it harder for your body to fight off all sorts of diseases, including cancer, or battle them once you get sick. Stress reduces the protective fluids in the lining of the digestive system exacerbating the risk and severity of ulcers and other digestive disorders. Stress changes blood chemistry, and if persistent, those changes raise the risk of diabetes. Those chemistry changes are also why chronic stress is associated with greater likelihood of clinical depression. Chronic stress impairs the formation of new, fast-growing cells like bone and hair, 
worry a lot for a long time, and you can go bald. Whoops. Chronic stress reduces your ability to form new memories and recall others. At high levels, stress literally dumbs you down. You don't need to worry about making babies when the lion is attacking because stress depresses fertility. To do this damages the worry to do this damage, the worry stress has to persist for at least a couple of weeks. And it has to be put out of the ordinary stress, excuse me, and it has to be out of the ordinary stress, not the daily hassles of like my commute stinks or my boss is a jerk. The kind of stress we get used to. That's what neuroendocrinologist Dr. Bruce McEwen calls allostasis in his wonderful book, The End of Stress as We Know It, which basically means our body can adjust to being under stress and all those systems can that get turned down, up or down, when we feel really threatened, come back into balance. But the stress need not be severe. This is important. The stress need not be severe. Our worries can be dangerous even if they're not existential. Any worry at all, even the little nagging stuff we're not even aware of, can cause a mini fight-or-flight response. It's easy to be aware of the threat of terrorism or climate change or that jerk driving next to you and sending text messages from his phone, the boogeyman that stare you right in the face. But we also have to recognize the danger of nagging low-grade stress. There is a huge hidden cost to your health and indeed your longevity from worrying too much. So there's all kinds of problems that scientists and medicine is saying happen to us when stress is involved. And worrying causes stress. Stress is deadly. It's detrimental. It may not kill us right off, but it's going to be killing us in a slow process. And so if we wonder, why is God saying, be anxious for nothing? Because here in this article, it even says low-grade, your, your small worries. Be anxious, worry about nothing, the Bible says. In other articles I was reading, it talks about, um, <clears throat> you know how when you get worried and all that kind of stuff, the, the wrinkles in your face, they, they become more and more prevalent. So the less you worry, the less wrinkles you have. Some of you ought to be excited about that. <clears throat> but you can do all kinds, you can look at all these articles and do all kinds of research on the internet and see that stress is a bad, it's a bad deal. Our bodies were not designed to handle stress. Now, in certain circumstances, when we're in immediate danger, your body kicks into certain gear and it begins to put off these chemicals and endorphins and adrenaline, all that kind of stuff. But if your body is continually putting that stuff out, it's going to destroy you. And that's what stress does to our bodies. So to me, and the reason why I'm saying this and bringing this out is because when God says something in his word, to me there's always a practical benefit behind it. I heard someone say years ago that behind every seemingly negative command are two positive motivations. When God says, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, sometimes we can say, well, God, you just don't want me to do that because you want to dampen my fun. You want to keep me from having a lot of fun. And God says, no, I'm saying not to do these things because they will hurt you. Or I want to provide something for you. So we can see that behind every command, whether it seems negative or positive, I believe there are two reinforcements. God's either wanting to protect us from something, or he's wanting to provide us with something. So take that into be anxious for nothing. 
Do not worry. You think he's trying to protect us from something? And do you think he's trying to provide us with something? You know, worry is a full-time job for many of us. And it's time for us to resign. Because it's killing us. And it's not only killing us. You know, it's um, interesting. As I was reading these articles online about stress and anxiety and all that kind of stuff, it's amazing how they put all these little commercial ads in there about all these medications you can take to help reduce stress. Or how you can take these medications to help anxiety and, and all this stuff. And it's like, I got my medicine right here. Do not be anxious. But it doesn't stop there. Do not be anxious for anything but in everything. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. There was a, a prophetic word that was shared this morning in pre-prayer. And I got so excited about it because, you know, when, when God seems to be showing you through multiple witnesses, through his word and through his people, that you're on the right track, that you're moving in the right direction. That is very encouraging. And part of that word, which we'll probably share at a later time, but part of that word was in the, the bulk of it that I got was that God has so much for us to do. He has so much he wants us to do. He has so much for us. He's wanting us to walk and move in the gifts that he's put in our lives. But we're busy about the wrong things or we're burdened down with things that we shouldn't be burdened down by. Worrying, excessive worrying. or You know, it's like we shouldn't be worried about anything. The Bible says don't worry about anything. And he's talking about the important things. <clears throat> he said, well, what do I do then? And that'll be the answer we talk about. But when we spend time worrying and we become stressed and it wears us out, imagine how that affects your relationships. You know, being cranky or crabby. I know when I'm stressed, I'm not the nicest person. And, and if I'm consumed with my worries, man, I'm, what are we going to do about finances? I'm not going to have enough this month. Or what about this relationship? Or what, if I'm consumed with that, then how am I going to do when there's opportunities to minister to people that come along? I'm not going to even be aware of them. Or I might not even care. Or I might not even be able to do anything because I'm so overburdened, so overwhelmed, and so depressed, and so anxious that I'm not even considering anybody else because it's all about me. Are you with me? And so worrying, anxiety... That is not only robbing us of our health, but it's robbing us of incredible opportunities that we have to see his kingdom manifest here on the earth through us. You know, worry and fear go hand in hand. And the Bible says that fear has torment. First John chapter 4, verse 18. I don't know if I have this up there. But it says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Fear has torment. Remember, a lot of times when we're being anxious, we're anxious because we're putting faith or fear in the negative happening. We're afraid that something bad's going to happen. So we're afraid. Fear, fear, fear. And it has torment. 
What is part of that torment? Not being able to sleep, lack of peace, anxiety, getting the jitters, being nervous, being anxious. There are a lot of people who are tormented that can't sleep at night. Or can't sleep without medication. Or can't sleep without whatever. And I'm not saying if a person can't sleep it's because they're worrying. Because obviously it doesn't do everything. Worrying is not about everything. But worrying and being anxious does affect us negatively. It, it severely impacts us. You know, the other day we, um, we came back from um, California a couple of days, a few days ago. And the first day I got home, you know, our biological clock's off two hours. And, uh, and I usually every night wake up, middle of the night, use the bathroom, which is no big deal, then go back to sleep. Came home, woke up early, had to use the bathroom, laid back down to go back to sleep because the sun wasn't even awake yet, so I had no intentions of getting up. But I couldn't go back to sleep because I found myself worrying about two particular situations whether it's financial, relational, whatever. My mind, the tape, someone said, someone pushed a play button, and that tape was going around and around and around. I couldn't get it to stop. Anybody ever have that situation? And it's so frustrating because it's like, especially if you have to get up for work, it's like, I only got an hour left, and you're like trying, to, trying real hard to sleep and, and trying to turn off that, that recorder, that, that playing thing, and you can't, and I couldn't. And I was getting frustrated. And the more you get frustrated, the more you tense up, the less you're going to be able to sleep. And then I realized what was happening. It's like, oh, yeah, I realize what's going on now. And I wasn't able to do anything at that point. But when I got up, spent time with the Lord, I did what he taught me. And then the next morning, I woke up. Middle of the night, which was yesterday, middle of the night, go back to bed, fall asleep. Now, the circumstances hadn't changed. But the peace that passed all understanding that guards my heart and mind in Christ Jesus was present. Circumstances were the same. Peace was present, whereas the night before, it wasn't. What made the difference? That's what we're going to talk about next week. This morning I woke up early and it was funny because I thought of those two circumstances. Didn't bother me. Peace was there. And you know when, when there's an absence of peace, when you think about something, you're, you feel that tenseness in your stomach. You know what I'm talking about? That mm, kind of gets you. It wasn't there. But I couldn't go back to sleep because I was excited. I was excited about today. Just excited about Jesus. And I'd rather be excited about that than worrying about all this negative stuff. Remember a number of years ago, I've had the privilege of traveling all over the world. I've been to Kenya six times. No, I've been to Africa six times. Kenya five, Egypt once. Been to Mexico a bunch of times. Been to India once, and I've been to Iraq. And that was my favorite trip because it was the most dangerous. But when I went to Iraq, it was... Those of you who are old enough to remember what was going on during that time, the, the, the Gulf War and those things that were going on, do you remember when they, the bad guys caught those four contractors and they strung them up from the bridge? Does anybody remember that? They strung up those contractors and, and it was on CNN and all that kind of, I mean, it was just horrible. They were hanging there and, and 
And it was bad news. When that was happening on CNN, I was in the airport in Detroit on my way over to where that was happening. That's where I was going. And it's funny because when I was going on that trip, when I was preparing for it and everything, and I tell people, yeah, I feel like the Lord's giving me an assignment to go to Iraq. People would say, don't you realize there's a war going on over there? Really? I didn't know that. But I was, I was privileged to go on that trip. I was excited about it. You know, some anxiety, anxiousness going on a little bit. Uh, but the excitement was even greater than that. But the, the challenge was, I remember the night we, we landed and we stayed in Amman, Jordan. And the next morning we are going to get up early and drive into, um, through Fallujah and then through Baghdad and into a place where Abraham used to live. Anybody know Father Abraham? That's where we went, to where he used to hang out and stuff. Might have met some of his kids, but I wasn't sure. But anyway, the night before we were going in there, I was laying in bed trying to go to sleep, and all of a sudden I couldn't. I was anxious. I mean, probably the most anxious I'd ever been in my life. And the reason why I was anxious, it wasn't because I was afraid that I was going to die. Because I'd already resigned myself to the fact that if I die, I'd die. Now, of course, we can say that in theory, living in nice, comfortable Stillwater, Oklahoma, but when you're about to go into a battlefield, it's a reality. And I resigned myself to the fact, you know what, if I, I believe I'm in God's will, I'm in the safest place I could ever be. And so I was not concerned about me dying. That's not what I was anxious about. What I was anxious about was when I was home, and over the years, I just had this thing, you know what, I need, I need to get insurance for my family. If somewhere to were to happen to me, I just need to have insurance, take care of my wife and kids, and everything's good. Well, you know how you prolong and put things off, procrastinate, that kind of thing. So here I am in Iraq, and I didn't get insurance. I'm thinking, uh-oh. If something happens to me, what's going to happen to my wife and kids? And, and to make matters worse, here's why the anxiety was a little higher. Every time that I can remember that I've gone on a trip overseas or left the Lord has always told me what I'm going to be doing when I get back. He'll say, when you get back, here's what I want you to do. So what does that mean? I'm coming back. So it's like, and, and I mean, there's been times on the plane when, you know, it's really turbulent or it's real bad. And it's like, I'm coming back because I got stuff to do. So this plane ain't going down. And I had confidence and, and not being funny, but serious confidence. This trip, the Lord didn't tell me nothing. He didn't tell me anything about when I got back. And when do I realize that? When I'm laying in bed trying to go to sleep before I go into Iraq. I'm like, wait a minute, Lord. Don't you got something for me to do when I get back to Stillwater? And he didn't say anything. And then I remembered, I didn't have insurance for my kids. So here's what I thought. I'm not going home. This is it. And I wasn't, again, I wasn't afraid of danger, but I was afraid of what's going to happen to my wife and kids. So I was anxious and anxious, and I was wrestling for hours and hours. And it was, I mean, imagine yourself in a high-stress situation. That's what I was experiencing. And there was nothing I could do about it, nothing I could do. I couldn't go online and buy insurance. Well, maybe I could, but it wasn't available for me then. And I was extremely high-stressed. Then the Lord showed me something or reminded me of something that he already taught me. And I was able to sleep like a baby the rest of the evening. 
and I'll share what I did next week. And if you come back next week, you'll learn if I actually made it back or not. <laughs> but I'm not going to tell you. You have to come back. There was a time, another time, a number of years ago, Lisa and I were the youth pastors here at New Covenant. And this particular time was a very stressful time. <clears throat> we were going through some things and just really having a hard time. And I remember going to the barbershop. <clears throat> Ken Murray cuts my hair and, at Oklahoma State. And I sat in his chair, and he was doing his thing. And all of a sudden, he stopped, and he, looked, he was looking at the back of my head. He said, CJ, what's this? I'm like, what are you talking about? Because I couldn't see the back of my head. I didn't have that privilege. And then his partner, Susan, came over to look at the back of my head. So there's a conference going on behind my head. And then she said, she asked me this question. CJ, are you, what are you stressed about? What are you talking about? She goes, what are you stressed about? Because what was happening is I was going bald. I didn't realize that there were some bald spots, but I wasn't aware of it. And she, whatever that's called, whatever that term is called, she goes, this is blah, blah, blah. What are you stressed about? And I'm like, and I didn't realize I was stressed. Didn't realize it. You know what? When I must have been mulling over and worrying and all that kind of stuff was going on to the effect that just like in the article it talks about, I was starting to lose my hair. And when I realized what was going on, it's like, I know what to do about this. So I came back to the church where I work and did what the Lord showed me, and my hair grew back. Now that's an awesome testimony right there. <laughs> but the greater testimony is the peace that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That began to guard my heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And so the point I'm wanting to make, I'm going to end with this. Next week we're going to talk about, so what do we do? Some of you say, I know, I know, pray. Well, I've tried that and it doesn't work. Okay, we'll come next week and see if I made it back from Iraq. And then we'll talk about the solution. There's a little more to it than that, but it's not hard. I did it yesterday or the day before yesterday. And I do it every day because it's like we're never immune to stress. You know, you think, oh, I got this. Everything's good. All right, God, I'm trusting you. And all of a sudden, five minutes later, a new, pres a new situation presents itself. And it's like, oh, my goodness. God, you're big enough for that, but look how big this is. Whoa, God, I don't know if you can handle this one. And you know, and that's what we're doing when we stress out over situations. We're saying, God, I don't think you can even handle this. And that situation becomes idolatry. And we begin to bow down and give it homage. Oh, mighty problem. Oh, <laughs> mighty problem. Get out the candles and burn incense and everything. Because we're giving homage. We're giving our allegiance. We're giving our sleep. We're giving our hair. <laughs> to this problem called whatever. It's time for us to resign from our job of worrying. Amen? But here's the first thing we must do. The first thing we must do. We're going to talk about the, the solution next week, but here's what we have to do. And I'm asking you to stand with me as I close. If we want to 
overcome stress, worry. Get to the place where we can honor God's word where it says, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and the peace of God. The peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. How many, of you, how many of you would love to have the peace instead of the stress? Here's what we got to do. We have to recognize and acknowledge that worry is sin. Because if the word of God says, thou shalt not or don't do, and we do, guess what we're doing? We're in sin. Sin is missing the mark. God has set the mark. Do not worry. I'm worrying. Boom, I'm missing the mark. I'm in, I'm in blatant sin. Chronic sin. And I'm constantly saying, God, you're not big enough. God, you're not enough. God, you're not strong enough. God, you're not. That's what I'm saying over and over and over when I'm giving allegiance to this thing. And so we have to repent. So if you close your eyes with me, and we're just going to pray. <clears throat> The Bible says to humble yourselves under God's mighty hand and he will lift you up in due season. Humbling ourselves is acknowledging, God, you're right, I'm wrong. God, your word is truth, period. My opinion doesn't matter. And Father, thank you so much that you invite me to come out of my current circumstance and to move towards you in obedience to your word and you give me the grace to do it. So Father, first of all, we do acknowledge that our worrying is sin and we repent. We confess that. That worrying, my worrying is sin. I confess that to you, Father. I am sorry for that and I'm ready to move towards you in obedience. And I thank you, Lord, for the grace that you're making available. Because your word says that you resist the proud but give grace to the humble. So Lord, we humble ourselves under your mighty hand where there's a whole truckload of grace. And we just choose to wallow in your grace and say, thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for your grace, the ability and the power to do your will. Thank you, Father. And Holy Spirit, I invite you to begin to deal with me and show me the areas of my life where I have been prone to worry, whether it's finances or whether it's relationships or whether it's my job or whatever. Holy Spirit, I ask you to pinpoint what it is and I invite you to begin to help me and work with me so that I can move forward, move out of this junk, this mess, and move into the peace that you promised So I can walk in victory. Father, you didn't call us to be survivors, but you called us to be overcomers. And we're ready to quit surviving and live victoriously. Thank you, Jesus. You are so amazing. You're so incredible. You are spectacular. You are awesome. And Lord, your word says that if we continue in your word, then are we truly your disciples and we shall know the truth and the truth will set us free. 
And so we thank you, Father, for bringing this word to our attention, along with the grace that enables us to run the race effectively and powerfully. We thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. I would encourage you this week to look at that passage, Philippians 4, verses 4 through 8, that passage right there, and just ask Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, give it to me. Teach me this. What do I do? How do I apply this? You don't have to wait till next week. But you can come back next week and see if, say, oh, yeah, that's what he told me. That's what he showed me. Let him confirm his word that he showed you. But, but just get with him and let him minister to you in this. And you can see how this can be life-changing. Right here, imagine if worry was gone from your life. Imagine the change that would make. Amen? All right. Well, you guys have an incredible rest of Mother's Day. Treat the ladies amazingly. You guys have a great week, and I'll see you next time. God bless you.